And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I am Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman on this lovely Monday in early May. Bruce, we always love when something kind of just drops from the sky and gives us some good content to discuss in these, you know, kind of slow months of the offseason. And late last week, DraftKings released its win total, season win totals uh, for every college football team in the country. And so what I figured we could do today is go through each of the Power Five conferences and play a little game. Are you ready for it? I am. Let's go. All right. The game is each of us. I'm going to read the, the teams. This is, again, these are set by DraftKings. I believe they're the first ones that have put it out. And then we're each going to pick uh, one. We're each going to pick one over and one under. So let's, what, what do you, where do you want to start? Which let's league do you feel most confident in? Let's start alphabetically. We can start alphabetically. All right, here we go. Win total odds. This is, remember, regular season. Florida State, 10. Clemson, 9.5. UNC, 8.5. Louisville, 7.5. Miami, 7.5. NC State, 6.5. Syracuse, 6.5. Duke, 6.5. Pitt, 6.5. Wake, 5.5. BC, 5.5. Virginia Tech, 4.5. Georgia Tech, 4. And the poor Virginia Cavs, 3.5. So let's start with, all right, you've, you've looked through that. Who do you think, who would you be most confident Put a little bit of money down to to win more games than their total. I would go with Dabo Sweeney and Clemson at not 9. the one I thought you were going to say. Okay, and I looked at it, and here's where I where I thought, and it was came down honestly between two options. It was either that or Boston College at five point five. I think I thought BC for will- sure you were going to say Wake. No, I thought BC, I think, will be the most improved team in the ACC. Their offensive line was decimated last year. I think they will be a lot better this year because they've added some good transfers. I, I think they will bounce back. But to me, sitting there looking at Clemson at 9.5, and I looked at their schedule, they play, they get Florida State to come home, to come there, and they have North Carolina to come there. I think that's... That's ideal. They also play Notre Dame at home. So now their toughest road games to me is against their arch rival South Carolina and either Miami or NC State. But neither one of those teams I think is great. So I'm not saying South Carolina is great either. But to me, you add in Garrett Riley, I think that will make a big improvement in an offense that had grown stale. I mean, if the if the number was 10, I would be like, all right, I'm going to go with BC. But 9.5, I think they can get to 10 wins against this schedule. Yeah, and that's a that's a reasonable 
expectation for a program that we know is is full of NFL talent, uh, it's just kind of towing the line a little too closely for me because nine and three is perfectly, especially where I had them ranked in the preseason top twenty five. Nine and three would not surprise me at all. Um, my answer is Louisville in Jeff Brom's first season. That is a program that I believe has underachieved the last couple of years relative to the talent they have. Um, he's got his quarterback in who uh, was his quarterback at Purdue, Jack Plummer. Um, they should be a really good defense, but here's the most notable thing and why I think they, why I like them here is as we, as I had forgotten about until recently, no more divisions in the ACC this year. No more coastal and Atlantic. So Louisville's been playing, you know, every year, Florida State and Clemson. This year they play neither, neither of those teams. Um, they play a, they play a, you know, a, a, I say decent non-conference game against Indiana at Lucas Oil, but Indiana has not been particularly impressive, obviously, the last couple of years. And then the big one will be Notre Dame in Louisville. But in terms of conference play, you're subbing out Florida State and Clemson, and you're getting Georgia Tech, BC, NC State, Pitt, and then here's where I like their chances, Duke, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Miami, Kentucky at the end. I think eight and four, to me, is the floor for that team, and they could even do better. All right, let's go to the flip side. Give me your team that you don't think will get to the number. Uh, That would be Miami at 7.5. Um, not that they won't be improved in Mario Cristobal's second season, but I think they've still got a ways to go. Uh, we've discussed actually on here at least a couple times all the areas where they're kind of lacking in talent. Texas A&M, second week of the season. I know A&M wasn't good last year either, but that's not going to be an easy game. Obviously, they have a couple layups there early. Uh, at UNC, Clemson coming to Miami. At Florida State. That Louisville team that I like, I think at the end of the day, like I don't know if Miami's even going to go to a bowl game this year, but if they do, it'll probably be six and six at best, seven and five. Okay, I don't, I don't know if I would disagree with you. I think they're probably a seven-win team. I think they will be better on defense considerably. Um, I like, I like the hire that Mario Cristobal made on that side of the ball offensively. I think they will be better on at receiver because they were so depleted. They didn't have much to work with last year. I think they do they do have a little more speed now. Um, so I think that they, they would not be my it would not have been my choice. I I agree. I could see seven seven wins. The team I went with as the under was Syracuse at six point five, and I know it might be enticing because you're looking at it, go ooh they opened a Colgate and that's. That's about as much of a gimme as you could expect. Apologies, Rob Stone, but that's not exactly a great football program right now. But they lost some really good players, and I'm sitting there looking at at they have a lot of tricky road games, right? You know, you have uh, at North Carolina, at Florida State. That's back to back, and that's coming off of this. To me, this stretch is less than ideal for them, especially to, to you know. I could see them starting out two and one, maybe even three and zero oh, if they win at Purdue. But then they got Army, and I'm not saying they're going to lose to Army, but Army is not easy to come off of. Then they go to, then they have Clemson, and then they have at UNC, at Florida State, and then a bye week, and then at Virginia Tech. I just sit there and look at, you know, Dino Baber's program has been kind of very up and down. 
I th- I don't think they get to I don't think they get to the six and a half. Um, did you consider at all NC State at six point five, both because they have exceeded that number for several years in a row, but also they one of the quiet transfer portal moves of the offseason. Devin Leary left there, okay? Not good. But they got Brennan Armstrong from Virginia, who I'm a huge fan of. Like, could that be a is that one everybody's sleeping on that suddenly Brennan Armstrong is going to, you know, you, you think of uh, obviously the last couple of years, ACC quarterbacks, Devin Leary got more pub. Uh, Sam Hartman got more pub. I just feel like, and Brennan Armstrong wasn't good last year. Let's in the coaching change, but two years ago, he was great. I didn't. Cause I know they lost. I feel like they lost some really good players here. I mean, they lost one of the best offensive linemen in the ACC and Chandler Zavala. Corey Durden was a really good interior D lineman. They lost guys up the middle. You know, both safeties were good. They, you know, they had some really good linebackers. Uh, Grant Gibson, like they lost like good in the trenches kind of guys. They lost some, I thought some really good players um, in the offensive line, but then also in that front seven and up the middle. And I'm pretty familiar with NC State just because we had to prep for them for their bowl game that never happened in the Holiday Bowl. But I know that there was really good talent there. And a lot of those guys, they may not have been first or second round guys, but they're not there anymore. And that's why I think those guys will really be missed. All right, let's move to the one that we both found to be the hardest, and that is the Big 12, which... uh, is a lot of you're going to see with these win totals. It's very jumbled together, and of course, the new the new element is the is the four new teams. So, Texas and Oklahoma are tied at nine point five, followed by Kansas State at eight point five. Texas Tech is at seven point five. Perhaps a little bit of surprise here: a team that played for the national championship last year, TCU, is only seven point five. Baylor seven point five. Here's our first of the newcomers, UCF, 6.5, tied with Kansas. How about that? Kansas's expect win total is now on the north side of 500. Oklahoma State, a team that often wins 10 games, is at 6.5. BYU's at 6, Iowa State 5.5, West Virginia 4.5, Houston 4.5, and a team that was just in the playoff only two years ago, Cincinnati 4.5. What stands out to you? I'll tell you what stood out was the over part was really hard for me on this. I just looked at a lot of this and I was like, eh. you know, part of me was, t- was tempted by Iowa State sitting there at 5.5 to not make a bowl game. They have a quarterback who now has experience. I look at that and I'm like, oh, that might be the one I'm like, I think they can get to six wins. Um, I'm not overly, overly confident, you know, they get Iowa at, you know, at, at home, but that's always a tricky rivalry game. I think they have a good chance to start out three and oh, you know, then they play Oklahoma state at home and Oklahoma state took a ton of transfer hits this past year. So if you're asking me, I'm like, I'm going to, I would take the wild card and bet on that program bouncing back. They lost a lot of close games in the last couple of years. I I will say I think they get back to postseason, and and that's my pick. You? Yeah, I, I think that that's a they're being overlooked. Although some people, you know, at this point are like, 
they're kind of over like the Matt Campbell hype uh, after you know, he had a great 2020 season in the last couple of years. I mean, the, the, I feel like the last Brock Purdy team was a big disappointment. And then, of course, last year's team, like you said, a lot of close losses, but the record is what the record is. Can, um, I, can I ask you one yeah. quick thing on this? And maybe this shouldn't be a quick thing, but like, and I feel like there's enough, you know, our friend Bill Connolly probably wades into this well. Um, the close loss game, you know, like, is eventually that bounce back the other way? You know, I don't, I'm curious how people feel about that. I'm sure you can find any metric you want to go, oh, yeah, this is a reflection of coaching, this, you know, but. I feel like a lot of times, and look, Nebraska fans are, are probably waiting on this to, to pendulum back, but you get a lot of close games, and especially if it's the same staff, I feel like at some points a lot of that sorts itself out a little bit and goes the other direction. If you were to go with the Bill Connollys, the real analytics people, and it's not just specific to college football, close games to them is a matter of luck. Uh, if you play that many one-score games, you should probably be around 500 in them. So if you have one year where you're t- particularly bad, is that true though? Is that I don't, true? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like I, what? I, when you know, I say something is a matter of luck, that means I don't really have an answer. Um. Well, think about it this way. Okay, let's let's say that's right. That is luck. There's nothing to say that you would be if you were unlucky one year, you're going to be lucky the next. There's no like. You could be the mush. Yeah, it's not a it's not a two year uh, window to measure it by. And I I don't I don't know. I don't think if you lose close games a lot, that means that it's entirely about coaching. But I also don't think it's entirely luck. I think I think it's case by case. I mean, we've seen games where you could pin the loss on one particularly bad call a play call by the coach or bad clock management down the stretch. Like that's not luck that that was a direct contributor. And then there's others where, I mean, perfect example, right? Uh, Ohio state, Georgia Nash uh, in the, in the semifinals, right. goes down as a close loss for Ohio state. It was a long field goal, but if a game comes down to a field goal to me, that that's, that's definitely luck. So um, but yes, I mean, if you, if you feel like Iowa state just can't possibly lose that many close games again, um, then that makes sense. I'm with you very hard to pick the over because there's not, there's not a lot of teams. I have like a lot of confidence in, in the big 12 this year. And a great example is that number on TCU is just sitting there waiting for you to go, wait a minute. They were in the national championship last year. They're not going to slip all the way to seven and five. They could. They absolutely could. Um, the other thing is I am, I don't have a lot of faith in the new team. Like Cincinnati, on the one hand, you think they've got too much talent there to, to, to not win five games. But big coaching change and big step up in terms of the season-long um, uh, season long competition is what I'm trying to say. So there. who did you pick as your over? For my over, I'm going with the Kansas Jayhawks. Um, they won six games last year. They had some really bad injury uh, luck down the stretch, including, of course, Jalen Daniels, who's back. Most of that team is back. Uh, to get from six and six to seven and five against us, a, a schedule that um, includes, and here's a big thing also, by the way, 
there's a lot of discrepancies in terms of how many of the new teams are you playing. They're playing three of them. They've got BYU at home in late September. They've got UCF at home. And they've got Cincinnati in the last game at Cincinnati. They've also got uh, a couple, you know, pretty winnable non-conference games in Missouri State and Nevada. And even Illinois, given some of the guys they've lost, to me is kind of a toss-up game. So, rock chalk. Okay. By the way, a big fan of Jalen Daniels. I think he is he is so underrated. I think he's a really smart quarterback. He makes great decisions. He's he can make enough plays. I like that. As long as he stays healthy, I like what you're saying. Um I think they do they do some cool stuff offensively with both quarterbacks. Um my over, or I'm sorry, my under, I bet is yours, and that is Texas at nine point five. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, here's what I think you said, and I like, no, I shouldn't do that. Um, for me, I'm looking at it, and this is interesting because when I first looked at their schedule, look, I think they have really good receiver room now. There's a lot of talent in there. They obviously lose. Their running back room was very depleted. Bijan was fantastic. Rashawn Johnson was super underrated. I think their offensive line will be better because it was so young, and there's it's more talented now than it's probably been in the last 10 years. But I don't look at them and think, oh, this is a legit top 10 team. Now, I saw a quote out there from last week from your old friend Urban Meyer, my colleague at Fox, Mm -hmm. who said this might be the most, I don't know, I don't want to, off the top of my head, I thought it was something like, this might be the most talented team in the country. And I was like, whoa. He did did say that, yeah. He's, Um, he's He's never been lacking for hyperbole. Yeah, so look, I'm not sold on... Quinn Ewers at this point, I he did some really good things. He also did some not so really good things, but he was a young quarterback. Sark's been good with quarterbacks, but I, again, 9.5 means they got to win. They got to win 10. Week two, they play at Alabama. Now, I don't think it's the Alabama you and I are used to seeing, but it's still Alabama and it's still on the road. I suspect they will have a better plan to deal with their, uh, with Ewers in their past game than they did last year. And then the rest of it, this comes back to the Big 12, where it's like Sark's teams, I feel like, you know, assuming they lose at Alabama, that's a big assumption. But then it's like, oh, they're only going to lose one other game. I don't feel that when I'm looking at, you know, once you get into week four at Baylor, I think they could lose any game. You know, they could lose any one of these games because we've seen that in the past from them. Yeah, that's their MO. You know, they'll get some big wins. I mean, they beat Oklahoma 49 to nothing last year. And then they'll lose some games you're not expecting them to. I didn't, I don't think, I mean, I think this is a year where the Big 12 champion might be nine and three. So I don't have a lot of faith in either Texas or OU to hit the over, even if I could absolutely see them meeting in the conference title game. Oklahoma's schedule is easier. Uh, if you're going to pick one of the two to, to be under, Oklahoma's schedule is easier. Texas, like you said, has to play Alabama. And yeah, there's the Sark factor. I mean, you pointed out last week. He's never won. Record, he's never, yeah, it was nine wins. So he's never won more than the. The, the year he won nine, game. do you know if he won or lost the bowl game? Um, He won the bowl game. It was so they were. Bowl. So his best regular season is eight and four. And now we're expecting him to win 10. Yeah, I'm with you on Texas. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Staying alphabetical means we go to the Big Ten. Uh, these numbers at the top aren't going to surprise hey, can anybody. Can I ask you a question on this? Yeah. So, this is, I was expecting you to go to Big Ten first. Mm-hmm. Isn't Big Ten alphabetically before Big 12? Uh, I don't know. Um, yes, it is. E becomes before a W. Wait, what? Where's the W? T W E L V E. Oh, uh, I don't think either of those conferences goes by the word. It's the number. Well, no, the one zero come before sorry, two. Sorry. Big twelve <laughs> is the number one two. Big ten is T E N, and okay. that that would come down to we got to ask um, AP Style on that. Which comes oh. first, the numbers or the letters? I don't know, but you're oh. probably right. Grammar's never been my specialty. Okay, Michigan ten point five, Ohio State ten point five, Penn State nine point five. Wisconsin, 9, Iowa, 7.5, Maryland, 7, Illinois, 6.5, Minnesota, 6.5, Nebraska, 6, Michigan State, 5.5, Purdue, 5.5. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Indiana, 3.5, Northwestern, 3.5. And I don't know why this is, but Rutgers lists no odds. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Okay. So I will take, and this one jumped out at me, and maybe it's recency bias. That's probably what it is. Um, I will take Michigan at 10.5. This is Jim Harbaugh's most talented team, I think, by far. Uh, It has really, really good veteran leadership. All those dudes led by Blake Corum came back. The quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, second year as a starter, I think he will settle in really well. I think he grew as the year went on. We saw him hit some big plays against Ohio State on the road. Obviously, I didn't love how they ended the year. It was a dud um, performance there. One of the things I wrote about last month, a little bit of a concern. The only concern that I have about Michigan is, you know, Jim Harbaugh had a couple of guys, especially Biff Pogey, who he really leaned on, who would probably push back at him on certain things. Those guys are not in the program anymore, but I like the leadership so much of the program. Saying we're still on the other side of the ball, Michael Barrett on the other side of the ball. I think they're. I think they've recruited well. I think they know their identity. They get Ohio State at home. They do have to go to Penn State. I could see them losing one of those two games. I don't see them stumbling the rest of the way, though. Just in those, you know, they play Maryland in between. Maryland's super inconsistent. Uh, Maryland lost some really good players though. I just don't look at it as like, yeah, there's Michigan state on the road, but we, you know, you and I both seen Michigan state feel like they're sputtering a, a little bit. Um, 
I just don't look at it the rest of the way there. And I'm like, man, the rest of the schedule sets up pretty well. As long as they don't lose both games to the, the other two heavyweights in their division. Look, I, I think they're really good. I have number three in the country. I'm just a little hesitant. Anytime somebody's got that big a number, you're just not giving them any margin for error. I mean, you could you're have giving a really you're giving a margin for error, but not much margin. for No, error. I mean, you're, you're, you could be a really, really good. They could have a really, really good team and lose to Ohio state by a field goal. And then just, you know, have one bad week somewhere else and lose to somebody they're not supposed to. So uh, that's a little, they haven't risky. done that in the last two years though. They haven't lost to anybody, you know, like the, you know, they dominated the big 10. If you include the big 10 title games, what are they like 19 and one the last two years? Oh, no question. No question. They've been dominant. Um, I just, I would prefer the only team I would, I would feel good about, you know, such a big number is Georgia. Anybody okay. else? I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. With, with so, so what are you saying? Like? They're not going to have one bad loss. No, I'm saying they may have one bad loss. They haven't had it in the last two years. Um, but that's saying they may have a bad loss, but they're going to have lose to somebody else that, like I said, they get, they get Ohio state at home this year. They're playing with a ton of confidence. They do have to go to Penn state. I think Penn state's good, but still, you know, I don't know. I could be wrong. That's, um, that's no, I, 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 if you had to guess today, I would say they, they do hit the over, but what if they have a rash of injuries? It's just, it's a little too close for comfort for me. The one that stood out to me is Maryland. Um, I think they've been quietly getting better and better under Mike Loxley. They did lose some, I mean, they had a lot of guys drafted, um, but they got the quarterback back. They got a lot of, you know, he spent four years uh, recruiting, but then I look at the schedule. So, so for them to, we're saying over under seven. Okay. Maryland plays Towson, Charlotte and Virginia to start. They play Indiana at home. They play Illinois at home. They have a game against Northwestern. They have a game against Nebraska and they have a game against Rutgers. I actually think they'd have to screw up pretty bad not to win eight. They lost a lot of really good players too. They lost a lot of good players in the secondary. They lost a lot of speed at receiver that he leans on. The running back is good. Uh, Leah's up and really inconsistent. The whole program has really been inconsistent the last couple of years. I, you know, talking to a lot of coaches, they look at it and go, you know, there's, you know, kind of use Jalen Duncan, who is their left tackle, who went in the middle of the round, middle of the draft, you know, had a lot of talent, lack of consistency. I just think that they're, they're better than they have been, you know, under Loxley. I just feel like, you know, they are inconsistent. I just, I just wonder if they lost, they lost some really good, they lost both corners. They lost some, some really good players that would, you know, the tight end who's now not there. He was a good weapon for them. I don't know. I, I, I can see where you're coming from. I just didn't feel enough confidence in that. Uh, was your under hard? Cause my, uh, my under was not easy for this. Um, a little bit, yeah, a little bit hard. Um, but one team did stand out, and that's Nebraska. Hmm. They're setting the number at six. They're saying bowl game or not bowl game in Matt Rule's first season. They've been really, really, really bad in the last couple of years, uh, the last several years. So Matt Rule comes into a complete rebuilding situation. He has brought in some transfers. He's basically riding Jeff Sims, uh, the Georgia Tech transfer quarterback. 
who has definitely had his moments uh, since he's, you know, in those first couple of years at Georgia Tech, but has not, I wouldn't necessarily has been great. And the way they talk about him, it's like, oh, they've, they've brought in uh, an All-American <laughs> to be their quarterback. So will Nebraska be better? Yes. Are they going to go seven and five in his first season? I don't think so. I think they'll miss a bowl. I agree with you. I agree. I think they could get to five wins. I don't feel that confident in them for much of the same reason you said. I think, you know, Jeff Sims did. Jeff Sims had some impressive moments at Georgia Tech and some underwhelming moments. And the question is, can he be the leader of a new team in year one? And maybe change of scenery will do it for him. But just some of the other stuff was kind of underwhelming. And again, I don't want to put too much on a quarterback, but um, you had a bunch of guys leave that position room there. I think Matt Rule's a really good hire, um, but I don't think they're going to make as big a jump in year one. Looking at also, they start on the road back to back at Minnesota and Colorado. I'm not saying like Colorado was horrific last year. Uh, Max and I did a big story on them and how with the new, you know, roster overhaul is going to be like. I can't wait to watch that game to see Nebraska and Colorado. It was wild to see it. Um, whatever it was, three years ago, my crew did it. And and it was Mel Tucker against Scott Frost. And Mel Tucker rallied to win that, you know, in the second half of that game. And it was a fun atmosphere. And obviously, both programs have fell further from that. Um, so I'm with you. Nebraska is mine. If it was five, it was five. I probably would have backed off it. But it's six. Yeah. And I won't go that high. Yeah, uh, it's definitely Jeff Sims. You're, they're going to live or die with Jeff Sims. Like you said, Casey Thompson transferred out. Um, he's the unquestioned QB one at this point. So it's going to it's going to pretty much I don't, not entirely depend on him, but you know that's who they're putting all their hopes in. Let's get to the Pac-12. Let's get to the Pac-12. This is the only one where I actually tweeted a reaction to one of the win totals so far. Um, who is your over? I. My over is USC. USC is sitting at nine and a half. And I know Caleb's still there. I don't think Caleb at USC is losing more than three games in the regular season alone. And I think they will be better on defense. I know they lost Thule, who was a who was a playmaker up on the D-line. But I think some of the younger players were a little less physically developed. I'm looking at you, Kalen Bullock, who... I think is continuing to get stronger. I think he will be a much better player. He was already a good player, but he had some challenges to overcome physicality wise. You saw those guys wear down in the second half of the season. You saw them wear down in fourth quarter of games. I think they will be considerably better on defense. They couldn't be much worse, but I think they will be considerably better. I like some of the, I think they brought in better transfers on defense this year than they did last year. Um, you know, yes, there's no Jordan Addison, there's there's no Travis Dye, but there's still a lot of firepower in the receiver room. I I look at their schedule too, and they got to go to Notre Dame, they got to go to Oregon, they do have to play Washington and UCLA and Utah, and that's those are some really good teams right there. I think all five of those teams, I think, will be in the top twenty five. So to think they're going to beat I guess two of them is not a to think they're going to have to beat three of them. Maybe it may be a big ask, but I just look at it on this and I'm like, man, I don't see them 
I think they, you know, with that quarterback, I think they can get to at least 10 wins. They are, to me, probably the Pac-12's best hope for a playoff team in a long time. And now I know there are some people who say they're never going to be good on defense as long as Alex Grinch is the DC. Okay. But they actually have loaded up pretty impressively in the portal on defense. I mentioned a couple of those guys in my top 25 blurb and then USC fans were me like, how can you not mention Bear Alexander? You know, a uh, five-star defensive lineman from Georgia who, who played a little bit as a freshman last year. So just on that alone, if I had to guess, why are they taking a team that went 11 and one in the regular season last year and setting them at 9.5? Well, obviously at Notre Dame is a tough one. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they played Washington or Oregon in the regular season last year. And they've got them both in, in back-to-back weeks in November before playing UCLA. So maybe, maybe that's why, but it is, um, it is a little odd, but that's not even, that's not my team actually. Um, I feel like Utah is the perennially disrespected uh, team for as much success as they had. Utah at 8.5. I looked it up. Since 2014, and we're throwing out the 2020 season, since 2014, they've only had one regular season where they won fewer than eight games, and that was in 2017. I just, you know, you don't even necessarily need to look at the schedule to say that seems low. Now, if I had to guess, one concern is, Cam rising towards ACL in the Rose Bowl, and it's not necessarily a guarantee that he's going to be ready for week one when they play Florida on a Thursday night. But uh, assuming he's back fairly early, um, you know, that to me is a team that will once again contend for the Pac-12 title. Under on the Pac-12. By the way, there are some bad teams in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, Cal, 4.5. I think they're going to be worse than that. That program has basically just lost all momentum that they had a few years ago. And and their best players, their best receiver transferred to uh, UCLA. One of their best linebackers transferred to UCLA. They've had other guys along the way. And then in terms of quarterback, I think they're going to go with TCU's backup quarterback from a year ago. There's just not a lot to like there. They've got Auburn coming there in week two. I don't think they'll beat Auburn. And he really wasn't TCU's backup quarterback. Chandler Morris was the starter. Max Duggan was the backup. And then when Chandler Morris got healthy, he would have been the backup. So it's really the number. This is really TCU's third string quarterback. Yeah, I just, I I just think that seems to be really bad. And I feel bad for Justin Wilcox because I think he's a good guy who has run into a lot of uh, things not within his control there. But something's gone terribly wrong because all their best players are transferring now. My under is nearby there, and that is Stanford. It's only three, but I'm looking at that. They play Sac State, which is you know an FCS program. Troy Taylor's former team. Troy Taylor's old school. Um, they should win that game. They got to go to Hawaii in the opener. I feel like that's almost a toss-up at this point. And then I don't know where they would get. I mean, if it's a three, you got to go over that. Um, I don't know. I don't know where the third win comes from. Like I'm looking at it. They play Colorado, but it's at Colorado. And I don't know who's the next. Like if you look at the rest of it, they got Arizona's at home. I feel like Arizona's much more talented than them. Oregon at home, way more talented. We mentioned Colorado. UCLA at home, UCLA's way, way more talented. Washington, way more, more talented. And then at Pullman, at Corvallis, 
Both of those teams are better. Then your your Cal team, maybe that's the other one, and then Notre Dame. So I do not have a lot of faith in in Stanford where they are. By the way, you were talking about losing talent. Stanford lost a bunch of draft picks, and then they were awful. They lost a bunch of draft picks, and their entire offensive line went in the transfer portal. Uh, and some of those guys, you know, the center is expected to start for Michigan. Uh, Walter Rouse, a four-year left tackle, is expected to start for Oklahoma. So it's a little puzzling to me because the offensive line was pretty bad, uh, that, 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 but the individual players are sought after. The only thing is, I, look, that team could go 1-11. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it, the, the cupboard is bare for Troy Taylor. But to, to win your under, they, you're basically saying, I feel extremely confident that they're not going to go better than 2-10. and 10. That's, you, you know, that, that would be, it wouldn't take much for them to exceed that. Uh, it would just involve basically beating Hawaii. That gets you to, to two, probably with Sac State. And then pull off one upset somewhere in the Pac-12 schedule. Troy Taylor's got a very creative offense. He might be able to win one that way. I agree they're going to be bad. I would not feel comfortable saying they're definitely not going to be better than two and ten. All right, Stu. Three, let's three get and to... nine is really bad, and it would and it would lose you that bet. But okay. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, last but not least, certainly not least, the SEC. <laughs> Again, you talk about not much margin for error. Georgia, 11.5. If they lose one game, you lose the bet. Alabama, 10.5. Tennessee, 9.5. LSU, 9.5. Ole Miss, 7.5. Arkansas, 7.5. Texas A&M, 7.5. South Carolina, 6.5. Kentucky, 6.5. Missouri, 6.5. Mississippi State, 6.5. Auburn, 6.5. Florida Gators, mighty Florida Gators, are 13th at 5.5, and Vandy is at 3.5. I will go the Kentucky Wildcats on the over for 6.5. Liam Cohen is back as the offensive coordinator. 
that is a big upgrade compared to Rich Gangarello really struggled at the college level last year. They had they have a couple of really good young receivers. They were young last year, but they still were promising. You get Devin Leary in there. Devin Leary has a lot of arm talent, just like just like Will Levis. He's played a lot. I think it's a really good fit for this system. I look how their schedule sets up. Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, then Akron. They should be 3-0, and and then they go to Vandy. Vandy's okay. It's not as bad as they were a couple years ago, but you just read their their uh, their win total. Not much expectations. Then they play Florida at home. I think at worst they're 4-1. and I think there's a really decent chance they're 5-0 and before they play Georgia. Um, the schedule gets tougher in the second half of the schedule. But I think with, with that quarterback in that system, I think they can get to seven wins. That's more the norm for Mark Stoops, for sure. And they definitely schedule themselves every year to win at least three non-conference games. Don't make fun of me. Uh, my over is Ole Miss, 7.5. Well, you were uh, on the lane train in a big way, Stu. Well, I guess so. Uh, but I, the guy does so well in the transfer portal. I mean... If Jackson Dart, Jackson Dart wasn't great last year, he apparently got, it looked a lot better in spring, but if he doesn't, if it turns out he's not great, they've got Spencer Sanders sitting there now. Quinchon Judkins should be one of the best running backs in the country. You got four starters back on the offensive line. Um, heard good things about the tight end from Memphis. Uh, defense is going to be bad. <laughs> I'm not, I'm saying they, to win this bet, they're going to win eight games with a bad defense. There's no question about that. Uh, looking at their schedule, they have two interesting non-conference games earlier early, but they're both winnable to me. The the one the first one's at Tulane, which uh, obviously is coming off a great season. Has a really good quarterback. Lost Ty J Spears, a terrific yeah. quarterback, but still has a really good quarterback. And as you said, Ole Miss's defense really not shaky. good. Georgia Tech is the other one. Obviously, they're going to play the SEC West gauntlet. Uh, they are playing at Georgia. Oh, I'm starting to regret this. They're playing at Georgia. <laughs> Uh, can I get another answer? <laughs> they do play Vanderbilt and the other one, they play Louisiana Monroe. Uh, I just think eight, eight and four is the, um, base four. expectation for them. You know, what's the most interesting game to me there, which is it's October 21st at Auburn, Hugh freeze against Lane Kiffin. I think Lane has more firepower on offense, although freeze has done pretty well in the portal. He's just got Peyton Dorn. Um, and he added added a Ohio State receiver who's who's who will help them. Um, I think that's going to be really interesting. It's not obviously you know we didn't mention LSU, we didn't mention the games at Georgia or at Alabama. Um, Auburn was really bad last year at five and seven, but again, that's an interesting one. This, that's one of those like eh, no one's going to talk about this game, but it's like one of the things you love about college football. Um, okay, I think people will talk side. about that game when it happens. I'm sure they will when it happens. Yeah. Uh, okay, the flip side of this, who is your under? It's Florida. You know, 5.5 is, is if that's wow, not bad you enough. think they're going to be even worse than I that. I actually oh think they're going to be even worse. I don't think there's much to like about Florida right now, especially a quarterback. Um, I keep. I thought maybe Peyton Thorne would end up there, but no, they're... they're you think Peyton Thorne is better than Graham Mertz? Evidently, you do. I mean, okay. I, I, I do. <laughs> Peyton Thorne was the quarterback for an 11 and two, 11 win team two years ago. He did not play well last year. No, he did have a great running back that year. Yeah, he did. Graham Mertz has just never, he's, he peaked in his very first game as a starter. 
no, I don't. I think if that's who they're riding with, that's not a good sign. Uh, obviously, they always play Florida State, who's very, I think, going to be, you know, ACC. They're my pick to win the ACC this year. And that opening Thursday night game in Florida, uh, Utah. I know Utah. I know they beat Utah at home last year in the big Anthony Richardson game at the beginning of the season. By the way, there's an example of, of a, a play, a game that came down to one play. Um, no, I mean, there, that's that's two non-conference losses to me before you even get into SEC play, which, of course, includes Georgia, Tennessee, so LSU. Um, I think it could be a rough year in Gainesville. Okay, I have got Mississippi State. There are six and a half. I don't love the change in identity of, you know, Leach brought the air raid, those, and I think going away from that, look, I know Zach Arnett, he's a new head coach, and it's how he wants to run it. Um, I'm curious to see how this plays out, right? Their schedule, Southeast Louisiana, and then they play Arizona, but Arizona's home. I'm interested to see how that goes, and then you got LSU and at South Carolina and then then Alabama. I just think you will see Auburn improve. I think you'll see Texas A&M improve this year. Those those games are both on the road. Um you get Kentucky at home, Kentucky from the other side, obviously South Carolina from the other side. I don't think they I think they at best are a 6-1 team. I think you're probably right, but Mississippi State to me is just kind of a you know, there's a few teams where you're just like I don't know what to expect. TCU falls in that boat for me because of the change you're talking about. I mean, they had a pretty distinct identity under Leach. I don't know what that identity will be now. So I'm just going to stay away from them. Our last one. Yeah, go ahead. Our last one. We're going to do Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame. Are you going over under 8.5? This is a good number. Like like a lot of them are. I I feel like they placed that right in the right spot. Yeah. Yeah, if I had to go go one, I'm going because Sam Hartman is the quarterback, and I feel like he will be better than what they've had there in a long time. And I have them at over. I don't love it, love it, but I like it. Um, the running back room is talented. Maybe their most dynamic running back missed last year with an Achilles injury. He is back. Logan they Diggs got, transferring doesn't um, concern no, you? No, it doesn't. No, that's interesting. No, it doesn't. Because I, like I said, they have a stud who missed all of last year, who I think will give them a spark. I think, you know, they lost some. You know, they obviously lost a terrific tight end in Michael Mayer. Um, they still have a really good offensive line. Um, I look at this schedule. You got to go to Clemson. They get USC at home. You have Ohio State in there, which is like, oof, that doesn't look good. But ultimately, I look how the schedule shakes up, and I'm like, all right, I think they can get to. I think they can get to nine wins. I think with Sam Hartman, yes. Because, I, I mean, the beginning of the schedule, I think there's a really good chance they're 4-0 and before they play, before Ohio State comes in there. And by the way, Ohio State did not blow them off the field. That was a tight game. So I don't think these guys are going to be intimidated at all. Um, I think it's year two for Marcus Freeman. I think he will be, you know, I think it's more of what he's comfortable with. And again, I, I think you have a really, really experienced quarterback. I like that. Mm-hmm. As first-year coaches go, Marcus Freeman was very much on the inexperienced side, and I think it showed last year. I think he he ran it. He had trouble managing the quarterback situation early on. Um, there was some – I mean, how do you lose to Marshall? 
Marshall didn't even end up turning out to be a good team. How do you lose to Stan- that Stanford team last year? To me, that was never about talent. Notre Dame is still extremely talented. Uh, so bringing in Sam Hartman, when we think about it this way, Sam Hartman led Wake Forest to some really good seasons. And now he's going to be playing on a team with a much better defense. So, yeah, it's an over for me. I, You know, the one thing about Notre Dame every year is I feel like you look at their schedule and it turns out somebody who you're not on here, who you're not even thinking about is going to end up being uh, better. Somebody that you think is going to be one of their tough games will not. By the way, speaking of Sam Hartman, I did not realize this till right now that Wake Forest is coming to South Bend on November 18th, the Sam Hartman Bowl. There you go. Um, one thing, Stu, I don't know if you, Marshall actually won nine games last year. Okay, credit to Marshall. Sorry, sorry for me uh, underestimating this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, I guess we'll keep that in the podcast anyway. All right, all good. All right, so let's get to the mailbag because we got some good questions this week. As always, send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. And I want to start with this, Bruce, from Chris in Seattle, because it's a good question. And Sam Hartman is a part of it. Why do you think established starting QBs have started transferring to new schools? Most of these players seem to have NFL aspirations. But if recent draft history has shown anything, it's that you don't have to play the traditional power to get drafted. If you can play, the, if you can play, the NFL will find you. See Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, Derek Carr, Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, Daniel Jones, Jimmy Garoppolo, etc., are these guys leaving because of NIL money? Are coaches pushing them out for younger options? Uh, I think there's a couple of things that are worth. This is a good question. So a couple of those, a bunch of those quarterbacks in that crop that um, Chris mentioned, they came from NFL style systems, right? What Carson Wentz and Trey Lance did at North Dakota State. Um, you know, what Daniel Jones played for David Cutcliffe. You have guys who have you know, kind of come from NFL pedigrees, right? I think NIL is a big part of this in terms of that, but I also think it's like, okay, it's the possibility of playing in more NFL-ready systems, either the coach you play for or whatnot. But I do think NIL is a strong component of that, right? So we'll see. I mean, Colin Schley went from Kent State to UCLA. I think the to play for Chip Kelly, you know, if he wins the job, because he's in a three three quarterback battle there. Devin Leary goes from NC State to Kentucky to go play for Liam Cohen. I think he knew Liam Cohen was coming there, even though it wasn't announced yet, because he saw what Will Levis had really done under Liam Cohen in the year he got to play with him. So I think those are big parts of it. But I get where Chris is saying, like, the NFL will find you, because they've shown that. But I think it's giving yourself your best option. I mean, there's there's definitely some interesting ones. You had mentioned earlier on the podcast, Brandon Armstrong reunites with his old coaches from Virginia. Um, also, I want to see how Tanner Mordecai does in Phil Longo's air raid now that he goes from SMU to Wisconsin. I think this, this is a lot of interesting stuff there. I think also, you know, several of the guys that we've mentioned here, Devin Leary, Sam Harvin, these are guys who – it's not like they're in their second year and they decided to jump ship. I think they they played four years. They they got the full college experience. They've got one year of eligibility left. Well, first of all, they could go to the NFL. Obviously, they decided they want to stay and improve their draft stock. They're like, let's let's why not? Let's use this extra year, this fifth year, and, and I think at least in Hartman's case, it's a COVID year. Um, on trying something else and see if it can help me get drafted. 
let's not underestimate NIL. Now it's tough because you don't, that's, that information's not public. I don't want to assume somebody made a choice just for the money. I don't think the money hurts. And, you know, Sam Hartman is going from, there, there's not a huge NIL well at Wake Forest and he's going to Notre Dame. Um, it's no longer just about, well, I want to go play, you know, play under the golden dome. It's like, I, I could go to the NFL and get paid, or I could go somewhere that's going to give me the equivalent of a late round salary to, to play another year. So or maybe more than a late round salary. Maybe I mean, more from my that, understanding yeah. from what I had heard, Sam Hartman had some big opportunities in some sec schools that he opted not to go that direction. So, okay. But we'll let's, see. let's say that. Okay. I'm interested. I want to follow up on this. Notre Dame is one of these places that claims to be all high and mighty and we're not going to buy players and all that stuff. But if you're telling me he had seven figure opportunities, at the sec, I can't imagine he's going to Notre Dame for free. So how does that work? I don't know. I don't know exactly <laughs> how it works. I, cause you know, I've heard parts of, of some of this stuff of like what the opportunities were, but as you said, not a lot of very little of this gets disclosed. Right. And I feel like some of this, you know, we, you and I have both written a lot about NIL with the recruiting elements of it. A lot of it is dubious, quite honestly, even the people who are saying, Oh yeah, this is what it is. It's like, they're trying to set the market. We've talked about this a lot. So, um, you know what in the Sam Hartman case, you know, he went there, he thought he was going to play for Tommy Reese and Tommy Reese, you know, turned around and bolted to Alabama. So, you know, this will, this will be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, One uh, thing I've been told by a lot of times is don't, you know, there may be NIL money involved, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to the highest bidder. Like we think of a bidding war. You don't, you know, if you feel like, well, this place isn't offering what school B is, but I'd just rather play here and at least I'm going to make some money, you know, that, that can be part of it too. All right. Next question, Stu is from Cindy. I think it's love the show and support Stu's Ari Wasserman band. There is no Ari Wasserman band, Cindy. It's fake news. Fake news. All I know is a couple of weeks ago, I tried to get him on the show and you were like, well, it's late for him. He has a young kid. I don't know if I want to put him on the show at that time. <laughs> okay. That's a hundred percent true, but it's also <laughs> true that you wanted to have him on the podcast at like midnight, his time. That seemed like an odd request. Okay. Uh, wh where would you rank Anthony Richardson among SEC quarterbacks if he returned to the Gators? Good question, Stu. Great where question. would you Number Adam? four pick in the draft. Well, let me see who's coming back here. Just get it all in front of one place. Okay. Um, he's definitely behind Jaden Daniels. Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of turnover among these ranks, isn't there? There's one other guy that I feel like we do not talk about enough. KJ Jefferson. That's the guy. Yeah. yeah KJ Jefferson's really good. I was actually surprised. You know, I'd forgotten that he is. Back. He's actually the top returning, uh, had the highest, highest, quarterback rating of all the quarterbacks coming back in the, I, I, I really, I'm a really big fan of KJ Jefferson's. They haven't, they just haven't broken through right since he's been there, but um, gosh, there was an Alabama game two years ago where he and Bryce young were just you know, trading, trading blows. Um, would I put Anthony Richards? Would I put um, Will Rogers ahead of Jalen? Jaden? I think if Leach was the coach still, yes. I just don't know what that's going to look like. Um, Would you put Anthony Richardson ahead of Spencer Rattler? That's a tough one. No, I don't think I would. 
Would you put I've him ahead of Spencer Jackson Rattler Dart? Win some big college games. Would I put him ahead of Jackson Dart? Jackson Dart will have to show me that this year. I don't think he was that impressive. Am I forgetting? Uh, oh, I know one. Oh, you answer this. Anthony Richardson or Joe Milton? Uh, I would take Anthony Richardson, but Joe Milton's going into a more established quarterback system. Um, I'll be honest. Right now, if, if he was coming back, I would have had Anthony Richardson third behind KJ Jefferson and Jaden Daniels. Um, but again, like it was his first year starter. I mean, he did beat a really good Utah team. And also he had almost nothing around him. Like I, one of the, one of the NFL coaches I talked to studied him, he was like, yeah, he probably had like a seventh round pick at receiver and they have a, you know, a young running back who might be good and that's it. Nobody made plays for him, you know? And so again, first year in the system, I'm a believer. I'm, I would buy the stock in Anthony Richardson. So what about we was one other guy you mentioned earlier in the, in a different context, Devin Leary for your starting quarterback at Kentucky. He would be ahead of Dart, Will Rogers, and Spencer Rattler. But not ahead of Anthony Richardson. I, Anthony Richardson, after, like, right now, he's done more than Anthony Richardson. But, mm-hmm. and I like the system. If you told me Anthony Richardson was going to Kentucky to play for Liam Cohen, I would say yes. But, he, you know, I don't know what, again, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Get back to Florida. I like what you said. I can't entirely disagree with it. Um, in terms of like where you were with the over under part of it. Yeah, yeah. But they don't have Anthony Richardson. I think Anthony Richardson had the potential to to cover up a lot of flaws. And I feel like Anthony Richardson in year two will be way different than Anthony Richardson in year one. He will be one of those guys, I believe, will be much better in the NFL than he was in college relative to everything else. So Look, you can't blame him for going the, out number four pick. If you can be the number four pick go, but I really would have liked to have seen him in college for one more year for exactly the reasons you're saying. Like he was still very raw. I would have liked to have seen him with a full year under his belt. And then these, this answer might be different by the end of the season. It could be different the, the other way qu- too, though. Carson Beck could come, come out. And by the end of the season, you're like, yeah, that guy's an all American. Um, Joe Milton, you know, there's other guys who could pass him, but in terms of on paper going into the season, I think I'm with you in that I would have him behind Jaden Daniels, KJ Jefferson. That was I it. Said, for me. I, I wasn't said Spencer him Rattler him, earlier. I'm not putting uh, him behind Spencer Rattler. I'm not. I, I I agree. I'm not putting him behind Spencer Rattler. Had a couple of great games at the end of last year, but but not great overall. Spencer Rattler had an 18 to 12 TD to intercept a touchdown interception ratio. And it was like, he's, you know, he's played a decent amount of football now. So. Isn't again, it crazy? I, I, we're talking about that. We're saying the guy who was just picked fourth in the draft, who will probably be a rookie starter in the NFL. And we're saying we don't have more confidence in him than we do in KJ Jefferson, who may never play in the NFL. I don't know why I, I, I don't know if KJ Jefferson will play in the NFL or not. I wouldn't say he wouldn't, you know, Again, it's a different ask, right? Yeah. Like Jaden Daniels was surrounded with way more talent than than what Anthony Richardson just had. Also, Jaden Daniels has played a ton of football. I don't know. know, you know, nobody knows anything right now. So KJ Jefferson could well have a big season and be a high draft pick. Yeah, I don't know why you just, say. Well, it's like, just fresh in my mind that I just on Twitter today saw 
somebody's top 10 2024 20, prospect and he wasn't in there but please don't go too far along with this no it's we could make an off uh, we could we could make an all-star team of all the quarterbacks who were either projected at this time of year to be a I mean, Brett Hundley, I distinctly remember at Pac-12 Media Day that year asking Jim Moore about whether Brett Hundley could be the number one pick. Matt Barkley, right, la- very similar, right? Okay. Last question, Sue, from Windsor, Ontario, from Scott Saxton. Students thinking about the transfer portal and how programs are taking advantage of it, or are they getting taken advantage of it? How can that be better quantified? It can't just be numbers in versus numbers out. There has to be a better metric. For example, how many transfers did a school take in that went on to be drafted versus how many transfers did a school lose that ended up getting drafted? Because if you're acquiring more talent than you're leaking, that sounds like transfer portal success to me. This is a little like Ari's shtick, but at the other end of the four-year cycle. Hmm. What so do you think, Ari's what do you banned think? from the show but he's been mentioned in two of the three mailbag questions. So, you know, clearly does he pump his fist at this or does he just, does he just like mutter under his breath? Stu? I like, think he crazy. should take it, take a W uh, the fans of the audible are big fans of Ari's. I don't think, I don't think Scott is being mean by saying Ari stick. I think he appreciates Ari stick. So to, I agree there has to be a better way to, to, to quantify it, but your NFL is like such a small percentage of the players. Like, I don't think, there's a lot of teams, right, that get better because of the portal, and maybe none of those guys get drafted. So at the very least, I think we have to scale that down perhaps to did you gain more starters than you lost? Did you, you know, if you signed 12 portal kids and, and five of them end up starting for you the entire season, and meanwhile the 12 you lost mostly go out and be backups, then I would say you won the portal that year. It is tough because I think it a lot of times it is quantity over quality, right? So I can use two examples of teams that made big steps. I would use the example last year of the 2022 Trojans, which, you know, you looked at, I think they had three starters, three solid starters on defense, Gentry, Makai Blackman, who ended up getting drafted, and Shane Lee. But it was offensively, Caleb Williams, Travis Dye, Jordan Addison, Brendan Rice, Mario Williams, Austin Jones. I almost like almost like 100% of the rushing yards came from transfers. That's mm-hmm. it's crazy how much. Like Relik Brown, I think, was the only one who really did any kind of damage with the ball in his hands, who was not a newcomer to that program via the transfer portal. So, um, and then like to me, the probably the biggest example of it, like a sea change and it didn't happen really with numbers was the LSU title team in 2019 because Joe Burrow turned out to be the, the, you know, like the grand, the white whale of all transfer portal acquisitions, but also Thaddeus Moss started out at NC state, went to LSU and became a key piece of the offense, but it wasn't like a huge number of guys. It was really two transfers in there. I mean, they had a couple other transfers who were JC guys, but in terms of transfer portal guys, and I think that's what everybody's hoping to hit. You're all everybody is looking for their Joe Burrow guy, who's not just A plus as a playmaker. They're also like A plus as the culture guy, as the guy who changes the locker room or becomes like that. And that's why I think it's so hard to say, okay, well, we got a, you know, we brought in a bunch of dudes. And, you know, Max and I did this story last week related to CU, but one of the things, you know, I asked Lincoln Riley about was how do you Matt, you know, how do you kind of vet 
the character of the guys you were bringing in and what it could do to your locker room where you're managing talent versus there are certain guys who come in and they can be real negatives, even if like, you know, they may end up starting, but they can do some, some damage to, to, uh, your locker room. And I think that's the part that, you know, we, I don't want to say we don't talk about enough because I think it's a, it's, you got to be careful. You're not trying to slam certain players as they're, because you hear stories from the place they just left. But I think that's a very real thing. And that's one of the things that coaches have to, have to manage. Um, you know, there's an, there's a quote that, you know, we heard from, you know, in the long, the way from one of the coaches, you know, it's like one man's trash is another man's treasure. Now, obviously nobody wants to call another, you know, person trash. I think it's a, it's a rough cliche, but I, I think in the spirit of that, you know, that's the tricky part of the transfer portal. It doesn't, you know, it says guys go on the portal. It doesn't say what, what their academic standing was. It doesn't say how many lists they're on. It doesn't say a lot of that stuff. You got to go figure that part out. So my, my, the light bulb's going off as I'm listening to this. Cause I think, okay, so let's take what I said about the starters. You're right. You got to get bonus points. If one of those guys turns out to be Joe Burrow or, or Caleb, uh, you know how Max poor Max is about to, I'm about to call him with, with more work. Uh, he does that great feature every year after signing day, re-ranking the recruiting classes from four years earlier. And he has this point system where you get more points for, you get points for them being a starter. Mm -hmm. You get more points for all American. That's what you got to do. You got to go back, look back at last year's portal and, and, and rank each team's class based on a point system like that. So almost sounds like a story the athletic should do. It does. But again, it doesn't get into the part that I was just saying where like, what if you bring in a guy who's a contributor on the field, but he's kind of a turd. And There's no way to I, quantify that. I mean, that. Yeah, you, you have to, but I, you can't, you're right. You can't quantify, but you have, you would have to talk to somebody inside the program who could probably give you a better sense of like, that's the part that I think, you know, it's, it's hard to quantify that. It's real though. And I I'm think just it picturing the, the story where it has like all American star and then they get docked a certain number of points for having turds. Yeah. I know. Hey, before we go, Stu, uh, yeah. I want to do we don't we don't do these regularly, but I would do want to do a shout out. Okay. Do a shout out for our baby bears football team. Uh we were in a division of the team I coached this basically from like January till yesterday. Um we were in a third and fourth grade division. We had no fourth graders and a handful of second graders, but our kids were awesome to coach and they ended up like wasn't really neat to see. They were always whenever they got down, they battled back. And, um, so we ended up eight and three, which was, which was a good year. Um, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if cousin Sal, whose son is on my team, will will give, will give the team a shout out on his Simmons podcast over at the ringer. Um, but his kid was, his kid was a blast to coach Harrison. Um, but it was like, it's, I, you and I have talked about this offline and obviously I wrote about it last year for the athletic, um, coaching kids is so like such an awesome experience because not only can it bring you closer to your kids but i think it can give you a really unique perspective and and um you know i probably should give a shout out to all the coaches whether they're college coaches or even also strength conditioning guys who have like i've stolen ideas from and used and it's been a great thing so if you're a parent and you're listening to this and you're hesitant of coaching 
your kid, your son or daughter, whatever sport it is, you should absolutely do it if you have the time. And if you really don't have the time, you should try to make the time because it's worth it. So the Green Gazelles, my uh, 8U softball team, has this is our, we're, we have uh, two more games and then we're going to have like an end of season parents versus kids t- uh, wiffle ball game on Saturday. So I will save my shout out for, for next week's podcast. Once the Green Gazelles. Where, where did the Green Gazelles name come from? It came from my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> One of the advantages of being the coach's daughter is we, I had to give them jersey color and nickname before I think we even had our first team meeting. So I just asked her what she wanted it to be. Um, but the kids love it. They love that name. So this has been an extremely rewarding year for me. Um, but I'll, I'll save that for, for next week's uh, once, once the season is officially complete. But I would, I would agree with the main thing you just said, which is coaching youth sports is extremely rewarding and extremely time consuming. I think I might be an assistant next year instead of a head make coach, the time, Stu. Make the time. You ain't that busy. I, I have made the time, uh, but in some ways, it's kind of taken over our lives because uh, now I guess we're going there. Uh, we had as it should. Listen, we we had listen. some the the, the weather in, in up here has been very unusual this year. We've had so much more rain, and so we had five rainouts early in the season that we had to then cram the makeup games. Like we've been playing three times a week here recently to to cram all the makeup games in. So there have been weeks where just softball, uh, not just playing and practicing, but uh, making the lineups and trading emails with the other coaches. We, uh, but um, la- yesterday, Bruce, uh, it's an annual thing the league does. We went to the Stanford-Washington softball game. Um, Stanford lost 8 nothing, so it wasn't a great day for them. But when these kids can see, because you're sitting like, you know, the players are right in front of you. When they see what softball looks like at that level, you can just see like they, they know enough about the game now to know what's going on. And when they see what it looks like at that level, it's just mind boggling how fast the pitchers can pitch. Um, you know, at our level, it's like a miracle if somebody can actually throw the ball to first and get somebody out. And these girls, you know, you'll see the runners like 80% of the way there. Of course, she's going to get it. Nope. They can throw it so fast. So I love college softball. I plan to watch a lot of the, uh, the postseason here when it's coming up. That is awesome. Well, good luck to the Green Gazelles to finish the year. Yeah, we're um, gonna finish strong. Hopefully, you have some to, merchandise. <laughs> congrats to your guys on a, on another great season. And uh, again, email send them to the audible pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. How did we get away with the things we used to do? Jumping off bridges, spinning down hills and catching it.